Hello and welcome to Pie Hard, the podcast that takes an unapologetically offbeat look at the Collingwood Football Club through the lens of culture. At Pie Hard, we're about providing an alternate commentary on The Firm, with a focus on the stories and characters that make Collingwood so interesting, so revered, so loathed, and above all, so loved. On this week's pod, we soak up the build-up to round one, discuss our hard-ons and flops, talk about Grundy's partnership with Wolf Blast, Add in some season predictions and ask the question, is football really not just about the flag? This is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. One's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. He's going to have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable in myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut shutter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pie Hard. It's great to be back. Of course, we are a mere couple of days out from the launch of season 2021. Fans are, I think, allowed in at this stage. Mm. We're just confirming that. It changes by the minute, but we are confident that football will have... The uh, the heart and soul uh, restored, oh yeah, and uh, and resplendent after um, twelve months in the garage, uh, ready to go. Joining me as always is Alex Watkins. Alex, welcome back to Pie Hard. What are you most excited about this week? Well, I'm hoping we're going to walk to the MCG through Fitzroy Gardens from the Union Club Hotel, mm-hmm. uh, one of the old headquarters of Pie Hard, and um, let's hope we're one of the fifty percent of. Um, members that are allowed in the mm. gate. Otherwise, we'll have to lurk out under <laughs> the elm trees um, listening for the crowd. But I'm excited like that days. it potentially could be a very strongly weighted Collingwood crowd, given it's a home you'd, game. You'd think so, wouldn't you? I think um, the most exciting thing at the moment is, uh, well, is Adam Trelaw playing? Uh, we don't know, do I, we? I've read that he's firming. Yeah, he, mm. may, he may well be, which um, well, let's hope there's some... Some fireworks. Poor bugger. He gets boned and then mm. probably gets booed to make matters yeah. worse. And he's a fragile sort, as we know. Mm. So personally, I wish him luck. I think mm. he's, a, he's a good man. They're really going hard, aren't they, the AFL and, and the media on the uh, Trelaw? You know, you know, before the game, they do those really shitty sort of like packages where they try and amp up the crowd. Like mm. you already know which one this is going to be, right? It's going to be the, the clip of Nathan Buckley in the media talking about Adam Trelaw. Headline, Adam Trelaw doesn't speak to Buckley. And it's just the spotlight's going to be on that. Do you think that, look, do you think that helps Collingwood? Does Collingwood like to be in the headlines? Does Collingwood breathe and feed off? The negative press. Do you think that's important, or do you think someone like Brody Grundy would you do you think Brody Grundy would have those headlines posted up on his locker, or would it be uh, maybe uh, maybe a bottle of um, of Wolf Blast? Well, look, in this case, I'm not sure it helps Collingwood being painted as the villain that kicked him out. I can see that. I remember from our semi hard episode last season, the WA the incendiary WA uh, headline. Mm. I forget Dirty Pies was it. Dirty pies. Uh, dirty that, pies, I think, yeah. That may help, help you know, put a chip on your shoulder. Um, mm. But it's funny what you say, like, they, they love going to these human 
human interest kind of storylines. And if it's not young Kyron, um, rest in peace, young Kyron, on the shoulders yeah. of the Collingwood players, you know, inspiring really a tear-jerking mm. narrative, they'll go to the the polar opposite storyline, which is mm. these guys hate each other, Collingwood are bastards, and um, Trelaw's going to get revenge. Have you, do you ever boo players that played for Collingwood uh, and move on? Oh, traditionally, traditionally I've, I've got no issue with booing, and I know mm. that that position has changed over the years in terms of booing has been associated with racism at, you know, as we've seen in the good saga in particular. But generally speaking, I think that the 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 faithful of any team have the right to try to put off the opposition. Mm. I think it's like a genuine, uh, usually a genuine attempt to like distract people from the game. Um, mm. Do I boo? I reckon I probably am a little bit of a booer, but I think mm. that it is harsh when the club moves them on. But mm. perhaps like someone who was like eminently booable once they left would be like a Daisy, mm. Daisy Thomas. Yeah. He was very booable because he, I think he fed off the booze as well. And there's mm. something about it. Also probably depends which club they go to. If they're going to Carlton, I think they deserve a boo. Mm. If they're going to Fremantle, not so much. Just taking a temperature check on, on socials during the week, it's, 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 it is quite interesting to see how quickly allegiances change. Mm. Um, we saw it with Stevenson again through no fault of his own or through a lot of fault of his own, finds himself in North Melbourne, allegedly, um, but obviously pushed out by the club. And then we've seen Trelaw. We've seen Trelaw's um, partner again in the news. And just the temperature on socials is quite, there's a lot of heat there, like from, mm. from Collingwood fans and like, you know, lots of mention about dodgy hammies and lots of mentions of uh, erratic kicking and, um, yeah, not 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 too much endorsement. And I think that's okay. I think I think that's okay. I think it's okay to fan for fans to um you know, switch on a dime and and um and give give their sense. Do you think it's a lot of pent-up frustration from last season? We know and we've talked about how last season was the most frustrating, you know, asterisk season of all time. Um it was I mean, we 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 kind of didn't want to admit it at the time because we had to front up and do a podcast every fortnight, but it was an abhorrent season. It was disgusting. Mm. I mean, there was no semblance of normality. We were banned from going to the football, obviously, and it was difficult. Mm. Uh, it was a pretend season. Is there kind of going to be that pent-up frustration we saw on socials last year when people were just ready to combust? Is that going to bleed into the match day experience? I think so, but I also think there's a there's a stronger undercurrent, and it and it reminds me of the uh, the fantastic interview that Oprah Winfrey did with uh, Megan and Harry, and just obviously from a um, from a, a royal point of view, just how much family mm. you know really counts in these scenarios, and and so you can be trashed or you can do something wrong, or someone can come in and and sort of be seen as as quite a uh, quite a quite a uh, an abrasive force, but once once you cross the line and once it once it becomes personal with the family, I mean, mm. you kind of don't want to fuck with the firm, do you? In many ways, so I think mm. I think what we're seeing is the army, the Collingwood army, the Magpie army, just uh, with a, with their backs bristled, mm. just you know maybe using a little bit of ammo from last year, but I think mainly it's just you know they're standing up for the queen and the queen in this. I'm not sure who the queen is in this instance. Who's the queen of Collingwood? Is it? Well, that's is it a Nathan? good question. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I think for we're kind of headless at the moment. 
We um, are. We are. Perhaps the queen. We got Prince. We got Prince Andrew at the helm. <laughs> yeah, the queen was a uh, was decapitated uh, by, <laughs> yeah, by it was guillotine a scene. That's in, right. in in the, in public. The, and I think the queen the queen cut her own head off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with your analogy, is is the Collingwood supporting base? It's kind of the British press. Mm, like, yes. we'll do anything to defend our club. Um, mm. And if there's bloodshed, then so be it. Um, mm. And of course, I won't go there. But I think that. Um, it's been a tumultuous uh, month for the Royals, and <laughs> I can only hope that um, our tumultuous month also mm. corresponds to millions of new American uh, viewers. <laughs> I think I think there's a there's a possibility there with uh, the Cox connection, but we'll have to wait and see. Okay, let's get straight into it because we do have a lot to mm-hmm. opine on today's pie hard. We start off as always at the top with our hard ons and flops. Uh, Al, do you want to do you want to kick off with your heart on this week? I do, I do. Um, I think it's important at this juncture, early uh, before the men's game has begun, to acknowledge the beautiful uh, success of our women's side. Mm. Um, look, these girls are six and one; they're ensconced in the top six, going to play finals. Um, mm. So my heart heart on is for the is for the AFLW Collingwood side, particularly mm. Chloe Malloy, who I've just been watching, who's one of those players who I think will get people through the gate. Um, mm. dynamic, low to the ground, powerful, knows where the goals are. Chloe Malloy, I learned today, niece of our very own Jared Malloy. Mm. And um, I just think I'd like to call out, um, you know, as we head towards the women's final series, uh, the women's side for their achievements so far this year, they're sitting in third. Mm. No, no, no. I think a lot of a lot of our listeners would appreciate that. Shout out to uh, all our fans. And also shout out to Chloe Malloy, fan of the pod, who is no doubt listening to today's show. Hard-ons and flops, really quickly from my end. I thought it was an uncharacteristically quiet week for the Collingwood, and I mean that in all sincerity. I don't think there was a lot of – there was a bit of manufactured talk around Collingwood and Footscray. Um, uh, But by and large, geez, it was a bit of a quiet one this week. But I think Mm. from my end, well, my heart on this week is is footy footy returning. Um, I think think we've kind of alluded to it at the top of the program, but – Last year just hasn't just just lost the luster. It it, mm. it didn't have the same feel as other years. Sure, it was great to be locked up at home and to be watching football on television. But someone played me a grab from I think it was the first game last year without the crowds, mm. and it just felt so fucking weird. It's so odd, and that was only twelve months ago. Um, only twelve months ago, we weren't even sure what was going on with the season. So it's amazing that we're 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 in the situation we are at the moment. We'll all be there. I don't think none of us have a ticket yet, but we are working on that. So it'll be good to uh, to find ourselves esconded in the terraces again. Uh, so that's my heart on, and I think my flop this uh, this week is Channel Seven. Mm. Channel Seven's AFL team. So <clears throat> a couple of things. So. They've been running this thing where it's like, you know, they're doing their season predictions and they're talking about, you know, Brownlow medalist, premiership, and then they've got this one kind of like section, which is they're calling the biggest slider. Mm -hmm. And of course, Collingwood's like um, featured in in several of those. I don't particularly have an issue with Collingwood being featured, but Mm. I have an issue with the term slider. I just don't know. I don't don't know where the fuck that's come from. And I don't- Mini burger? Is that- that well, it is. It's a small. It's a small hamburger. It's also. It's all, no. It's also a show from the nineties. Sliders. Yeah, great. Sliders. Show. A sci-fi. A sci-fi through, show through the kind of vortex into 
a parallel universe, as I recall. 100%. And yeah, it's starring it was, Pavarotti or a guy that looked very similar. Yeah, it was like, it was around the time of like Buffy, mm. the Vampire Slayer. You know, it was very much of that ilk. Friday nights, um, I reckon. Friday nights. Yeah. yeah, Friday nights, exactly. It's just before the football. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know where these clowns are coming up with this shit, but it's just, you know how one word can just really shit you and it's really mm. piss you off? And and that was Slider. So, uh, yeah, that turned my heart on for football into a uh, into a massive Flop, and you know, if anyone's going to slide, it's going to be the Channel Seven team because they've without, lost Bruce McAvaney. Bruce, but no one's yeah. talking about that. No. So without Bruce, what they're going to throw? Who's that? Who's the guy? The cricket guy? I mean, is he James Brayshaw? Oh, is he yeah. really going to be locking this fucking thing down? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, come on, Channel Seven. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be slinging your your sliders around, you need to take a look at your own team. Um, I don't think they've announced anyone to replace. The, the the late great Bruce McAvaney, rest well, in peace. You can't just replace a guy like that, can you? Not oh, not of not of not of Bruce's caliber. No, no. And no, now no. with um Dennis, I mean, you can try to, but Dennis tried. Dennis gone, Bruce gone. My question is, if Collingwood is going to slide into a parallel universe, what might that look like? Uh, would it be one where we've got no injuries, or? <laughs> You know, we're guaranteed of making top four. I loved and respected prim- uh, president. Yeah, it's look, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting sliding door oh, moment. Mm, um, so yeah, if it, it is going to be a slider. Let's make it. Let's make it an interesting slider, and it's the uh, the Collingwood vortex. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, moving right along, we we are going to pick up a favourite segment of ours, and it is take it away, Al. It is of course blasphemy. Okay, now we, we we were sent a press release. We love a press release on Pie Hard. We were sent a press release earlier this week, and I'm just going to write out the read out write out. I'm just going to read out the first section. AFL superstar and South Australian local Brody Grundy has come on board as the 2021 Wolf Blast AFL campaign ambassador for the winery's annual and ever popular AFL promotion. As part of the campaign, the Collingwood player reflects on 2020, how it changed him, and what it taught him. In short, for Grundy. It is all about balance. Uh, quote from Brody Grundy, I find that when I balance my focus between my personal and professional life, I'm able to approach the game with more vigor and motivation. A big part of the renewed energy comes from traveling and the perspective that that brings. I'm looking forward to chasing more adventures off field in 2021, whether that be surfing or camping with dogs. Uh, Robert Knott, who is the uh, Wolf Blast Global Marketing Manager, goes on to say that Brody is a great ambassador for our Chase the Finals campaign, as he has such a great perspective on not just his professional career and where he's wanting to take it, but also a focus on chasing personal balance and growth. This is very much aligned with the essence and values of Wolf Blast. Now, you guys are sitting at home and thinking, yeah, well, that's fantastic. That's that's great. And we love, we love you know, chasing the bag, so to speak. Um, but where's the blasphemy? Well, the blasphemy is 12 months ago, the representative for the Wolf Blast Chase, Chase the Finals campaign, the Chase the Finals campaign, was none other than Nathan Buckley, oh. who had launched his own variant of Blast, mm-hmm. the uh, sultry tannins of the Bucks blend, which we've tried 
numerous times on this program. We absolutely love. Mm, luscious. Um, but he's been chopped. So the first thing is no Nathan Buckley this year in the Chase the Finals campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is that saying about you know Nathan Buckley's standing in the football community? Is that a warning? Is that a is that a message from the Wolf Blast team? Has Nathan just got a lot on his plate and um, had to turn away the uh, the Wolf Blast partnership this year? And so the second blasphemy, and I'm really keen to dive into this, is is the interview um, that Wolf Blast had with Brody Grundy and we just read a little bit there at the start a lot of uh a lot of focus on balance and and personal professional life um looking forward to um to traveling mm. and off-field adventures this year not a lot of mention of on-field no. uh, but a lot of focus on you know camping with dogs and surfing so oh, look let's let's just dive into it look we know I think let's start here. At the start of Pie Hard, I remember us having a conversation Mm -hmm. and it was like, in a bizarro world, would we be friends with any Collingwood players, currently listed Collingwood players? Mm -hmm. And I think in short, the answer is not really, or certainly not many. Mm. Now there's age gaps, there's interests, there's, you know, just just where we are in our lives and that's that's understandable we're not we're not here that pie heart is absolutely not a collingwood worship podcast those that listen to us know that we hold the club accountable as always and the players mm-hmm. but i think we did land on the fact that if we did share a beer with a couple of players at the collingwood football club two names came up first one was darcy moore yep and the second one was brody grundy uh-huh. and we just felt that in terms of our our shared interests our likes and our common kind of stance or, or take on the world just felt like there'd probably be a, a more rich conversation with a Brody Grundy than, say, a, a Jordan Degoe or a John Noble. Now, fast forward to now, 21 episodes in, and we fully support Brody Grundy's perspective on the balance between football and his other interests. And I think, mm. it's, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it should be applauded, the modern footballer. But it does throw up a conundrum. Mm. And that conundrum is for modern footballers who aren't necessarily 100% motivated by on-field football success. And we're not saying that Brody Grundy isn't. And I just want to, before, um, before you guys jump onto Twitter, I just want to, uh, you know, underscore that point and say, obviously team success and ultimate success is, is high on his agenda. But let's face it from recent interviews, it's not really all about a singular focus of winning a premiership. Mm. So I wanted to get your take on that, Alex. We've, we've run a poll. So yeah. we, we, we did do a bit of a dipstick out there with the uh, Pie Hard community just to get a sense of how the fan thinks about those quotes. And I think it's interesting because we haven't really seen too much rigor put against this interview. It's kind of been, you know, oh, that's Brody. Of course, he didn't have a good year last year. He couldn't ride his fixie and drink espresso coffee in Fitzroy. <laughs> so we understand that, you know... Of all the players, he probably fared the least in the uh, mm. Twin Waters environment. Very interested to get your take on this, uh, L, because I know we've had some robust conversations on our uh, WhatsApp group over the week. Yeah, look, it's a really fascinating topic. And I must admit that when I first heard some excerpts from the interview, I had that knee-jerk, old-fashioned football fan reaction of kind of like, ah, pull your head in, mate. Or like... You know, he doesn't want it enough. 
you know, that mm. kind of old that old kind of hard line stance on you know play your role. Um, you're there as mm. a footballer and a thinker, and sometimes that's just kind of like a twitch that can happen inside you as a footy fan. But mm. then look. I did take the time and I read the interview, which I think was conducted, as you said, as part of the Wolf Blast's unveiling of him as an ambassador. Mm. Um, and there's one thing, there's one kind of line in there which almost kind of turned my opinion of um, what he was saying. He said, it's never made sense to me. How can you go through 15 years of your life playing at the highest level but not see it as a success? And it, it kind of was a light bulb moment and I actually recall um, thinking a very similar thing over the years, um, especially during the Malthouse era, when I when I reflected on that um, that time period of success we had and and pretty sustained success, which involved multiple grand finals, um, a lot of big games, and it was a period you know where we had real blockbuster fatigue, and I remember thinking, okay, we got one premiership, you know, we would have hoped for more as Collingwood supporters, but we got one premiership. But there was something about the one premiership that didn't do the era justice. And I remember thinking, look, every year there's 17 teams that are disappointed. Hmm. And if, if as football fans we only judge success by premierships, then it's a really fucking long, hard road of supporting. Like hmm. How often are you going to have that genuine satisfaction of winning the whole bloody hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. And so I guess I've come around a little bit and I'm realising that Brody's nuanced uh, approach to the priorities of football and the place that the place it uh, plays in his life mm. is, probably, is probably a sane way to approach things. And, mm. you know, I'm coming on board. The other reflection I had was that perhaps back in the day when players were not professional, we're talking about the 70s or 80s and players... Uh, working their day job as a plumber. Mm. Perhaps they naturally had that like work-life balance that players today kind of miss out on. Yeah. And that, you know, it has gone to that extreme level of the football bubble where the players can't escape. So I've my knee-jerk reaction was that I want players to win a premiership, pull your head in, Grundy. And then upon further reflection, I think that this is probably the way that young modern players are moving towards a more holistic sense of their role in the game and the game's role in their life. What did, mm. what, what did you take away from Brody's comments? Yeah, look, I, I, I kind of share, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of what you're, you're saying in terms of my first initial reaction was like, this is not, this doesn't read well. Mm. And I think that that comes from, Obviously, it is a bit of the old school. It's like, you know, we're here to win. And it's like, you know, for a fan, it's like, you know, you're always thinking, oh, I just, I would, I would love to either share a, a, a flag with, with this person or my dad or like my mom. Like, it's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of memories around winning premierships and we've been fortunate enough to do. And, and it becomes sort of like, it, it becomes, you know, something to really celebrate. Um, because they're so rare, because they're so hard. I think the, the the issue that was really sort of tugging at me was that Brody Grundy isn't a bit player at Collingwood. He's now officially our our, our highest earning player. Um, I think it's like seven million dollars. Like he's he's a linchpin within the side. He's now a leader, or he's been a leader for a couple of years, but he's on the leadership group. And it's like the one thing that I started thinking about was. 
And this is where my head goes to, and it always goes to like recruiting. And I was thinking, and I think I shared this with you, but it's like, does it give teams without these balanced thinkers within their ranks <laughs> mm. and a, a distinct advantage? Now, I'm going to use a Richmond example, like Dustin Martin. I'm not sure if he's like thinking about camping with his dogs. He might be, or like whether whether a flag is 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 motivating him, whether a fourth flag or whatever it is 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 high on his agenda. But I would say winning is mm. like just for just looking at that guy and just and I'm thinking in the future if you're going to have these nuanced, balanced heads in the football club, which is great, and we're all for it. Is that detrimental mm. to long-term on-field success? And do you need to be, do you need to be rethinking your strategy? And of course, you, you're inevitably going to have these guys within within the unit. But should you be just going back? Like, should should Derek Hine be, you know, conducting these IQ tests and and anything that's of the lower lower grade matched mm. with skills, you're straight in the door. Oh, and and I feel maybe out, there was a little yeah. bit of that with 2010. <laughs> Maybe I think there was a lot of let's win, but let's also party. Uh, so that's what I was thinking. I was also thinking it, it took me right back to like the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance last year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just Jordan's single-minded focus on winning and how that actually kind of carried his teammates along, many many of whom weren't necessarily that gifted or... or um. Or, or that skillful, but and obviously it rubbed up against a lot of them. But just you know, can you imagine a Michael Jordan with this kind of attitude? Like, mm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's just it's just a flag. Like, it it doesn't define me. Like, you know, after twenty years of basketball, I'm still this whole individual that has other interests. And you know, it just it's sort of like that. That is actually where I went to with it. And um, I'm not sure. Do overthinkers make good sportsmen? That's the the crux. Yeah, uh, I loved your um, point about like should Derek Hine be taking the stupid ones, and I'm just wondering <laughs> if that if that becomes an official metric of like draft camp. I'm just mm. imagining these these 18 year olds rocking in, like having to prove how dumb they are just to try and secure <laughs> that last spot on the list. <laughs> yeah, oh. it, it would be fantastic. It's like whoever flunks a test, right? Yeah. It's like it's like a term paper or whoever's caught cheating it's like you you you're you're the number one draft pick. I'll tell you what I'll tell you what it has done. We've been we've been um massive stands on Darcy Moore as potentially the next Collingwood captain. Um for a number of reasons. And it's interesting. I've I think that in my head Taylor Adams's stocks have actually risen. Mm -hmm. In terms of in terms of my idea of what of what an ideal Collingwood captain is, and that's not to say that he's not he doesn't approach like life like this way, but there is sort of like that single minded focus in that guy's mm. eyes where he's like you know he's just determined to like drag fucking teams across the line and you know get in the bottom of packs, put his body over it, and it's just like maybe it is like when he is at the football club, his single focus is about winning. And, and winning premierships. And I just wonder, like, could you ever see or would you ever be fully supportive of Brody Grundy captaining the Collingwood Football Club with, with what you've read this week? Well, yeah, it's a big question. There's always been this sense with Brody that he is a 
British competitor in his own way. And I think when he crosses the line, he does adapt to that win-at-all-costs mantra. And he says, mm. he, he himself says that the longer the game grinds on, the more mm. he enjoys it. He enjoys the grind. So I think perhaps there's, being honest, maybe there's two Brody Grundies, and I think that the Brody Grundy on field, I think he's a good leader. Your point about Taylor is is really spot on in that you know what you're going to get and you're going to obviously get 100% in the field, but you're also going to get this will to win, which is perhaps harking back to a more old-fashioned footballer. So for some reason, I just can't quite pinpoint it. For some reason, I Brody Grundy just does not seem to be in the captaincy frame whatsoever, even though we're willing to pay him $9 million a year for the next 32 years. Mm. Do you think? Do you think a coach, if a coach came out with that explicit mantra of, "Look, I'm here to get the best out of this team. Um, if success happens, great. But guys, it's not all about winning the flag. Yeah. Like, come on. Do you think? Because at the end of the day, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be facetious here. I'm, uh, the AFL is is a business, yeah. and the measure of success is winning a premiership. That's what clubs are planning for for years and years ahead. It's what all list manage- management decisions are based on. It's 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 pretty much how a club is stitched together. And it's like we've seen with Collingwood even in the last two years, it's like, look, we are going to completely fuck ourselves here, but let's fuck ourselves because it gives us an opportunity to win a premiership. Mm. And if it doesn't, we we split apart at the scenes, but that's okay. That That is the cost. Of 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 striving for the ultimate, and I just feel as long as those players are within that system, like it's sport. It's not. It's not another job. It's not. It's not something like it is all about the win at the end of the day. And it comes down to what role those players play within our lives, the supporters' mm. lives, and the members' lives. Because in the end of the day, our expectations of the role they play will dictate how much they can get away with. If our clubs mediocre because we've got all these overthinkers Mm. the player's too smart then that's not going to bode well for membership that's Mm. not going to bode well for the bottom line there's going to be an insurrection and i think there's this element in australia and probably in other codes here and overseas where in our lives we actually want the footy players to play footy i mean Mm. i don't you know i mean this is kind of getting to the core of really what pie hard perhaps is about but you know the irony of players being sponsored by wine brands. And the reason it's funny is because, it's because if we're being honest, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's totally irrelevant <laughs> to the role that they're meant to be playing on the field, mm. which kind of injects it with some kind of weird humour that like, hang mm. on, who thinks of this shit? Like Wolf Blast <laughs> marketing team, Brody Grundy, you know, like all that like mm. brand lingo you put in the mm. intro with the, with the uh, Wolf Blast stuff. So, yeah, I think that maybe the question is probably not for the coaches who obviously are there to win or Mm. the president or the board. It's actually the members. How how far are we going to let it go? Are we we okay with players identifying more with their personal branding on social media than Mm. their marks, kicks, handballs on the weekend? Mm. And we seem to be in this juncture, this overlap where it's unclear, and this is a really interesting example, the Brody Grundy thing Mm. about what the priorities are or whether it's barbaric or backward for us to expect their priorities to be narrowed single-mindedly 
onto mm. onto a premiership. Well, it's speaking of members, we did throw a poll out on PyHard earlier on in the week on our Instagram at PyHard Podcast. Uh, make sure you're following if you're not. Um, just to, to yeah, just to get a sense of of the feel with with the supporters, and of course we have a we have a, a broad spectrum of supporters across PyHard. Um, across all different ages. And so 75%, we asked the question, is it all about a flag? 75% said, yes, it is. That's what we're here to do. That's why we're playing. Um, and yeah, the rest uh, were very much, so the 25% were very much um, in, in the in the latter camp of no, it, football should be about much more than that. So, which I was quite surprised with, because I would, I would have assumed that, um, you know, from a supporter's viewpoint, uh, that would have been a little bit higher in terms of, listen, we, we know why we're here mm, yeah. <laughs> and expectations are set uh, in advance. And if people don't live up to that, then then they leave the organization or the firm, as we call it. So just interesting. We love to, we always love to get your take on pie hard. Um, so Brody Grundy, Wolf Blass, not all about a flag, to be continued. I mm. think this topic. I think we're going to um, just just play a careful uh, eye on 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 Grundy as the year rolls out, and just see where we land to on this one. It's a big it's a big topic. And I tell you what, this all reminds us of is um, as you mentioned the Buckley connection with Blass, well known mm. Bucks blend, yeah, uh, delicious drop as you mentioned. But also we uh, did a pod last year uh, where we tackled some of the hard questions around other player wine branding partnerships and we mm. had the pendlebury the pendlebury was an exquisite right. uh limited release clean skin um that mm. we delved right into i think it was mm. uh, pie hard 18 i'm gonna say perhaps um mm. the copy on that was the official copy the mm. drop smooth and silky texture reminds us of scott pendlebury's game style his ability to stop time and weave through traffic the pinot noir is exceptionally light and balanced which reminds us of Scott Pendlebury's personality. So they get quite personal with that. Mm, I don't know about the weaving through traffic bit, just with a wine brand. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, carry on. So we've noticed with this uh, look connection that seems to be fostered and developing between Collingwood players, coaches, wine brands, mm. that before long, all players will have an association <laughs> with some kind of wine. In some capacity, there'll be a commercial partnership a collab mm. with different ones so what i wanted to do is uh mm. introduce this little segment segment which i'm calling pop quiz asshole <laughs> i want to run by you which wine varieties mm. would ultimately best be matched with which currently listed <laughs> collingwood players mm, i like it cabernet sauvignon mm. i am bold high in acidity Savory, elegant, and dry. I am a serious wine, a serious drinkers. I am. I am Taylor Adams. Oh, good. Yeah, that's good. He's bold, and he <laughs> leaves good. Leaves a bit of that kind of serious. He's serious as well. That, par- that parched kind of dryness at the back of the mm. back of the palate from the tannins. Very, yeah, I yeah, think very, you're right. It comes from, comes from rich rich soil. I'm giving you a ten out of ten for that. Okay, thanks. Merlot. I am inherently luscious and velvety. Fruity, soft, and drinkable. Merlot yields a softer, smoother texture. <laughs> uh, oh, you have me at luscious. I'm going to say Isaac Quainor. Oh, yeah, well, he's a luscious. Uh, you know, the Merlot's got that smooth, velvety. He's definitely a velvety a type. Um, finally, the Blanc de Blanc. 
I'm a style of champagne. Blanc de Blanc literally translates to white of whites, intimating that the winemaker has made a white wine from a white grape. Most commonly in champagne, that grape is the Chardonnay varietal. Who am I? Mm, okay, well, there's only one name that springs to mind, and I'm going to say it's, we call him Salt, but in this instance, we're going to say it is John Noble. <laughs> and yes, the only reason I came up with that segment was so we could compare John Noble to a white uh, wine grape. I think that wraps up that uh, that wine soaked segment, but we are going to move along mm-hmm. to, oh, geez, geez, we're tackling the big topics today. God damn it. Cue the music and let's uh, dive into everyone's favourite segment, Pies Wide Shut. The club was on the bottom. I know we were broke. Eddie had a vision and we're prepared to live to that vision. Great disappointment that uh, this afternoon the Collingwood Football Club uh, has resigned from its partnership with the Transport Accident Commission. Smoking shadows behind the window. Joined again by Alex Weisslitz from Thorny Investments. We continue to um, populate the portfolio, what we hope will be the cream of the cake. Bigger and better just keeps getting better and better. Three-year, multi-million dollar sponsorship with the most storied and famous club in all of Australian professional sports. Toasts will be replaced with tears, though, when the last Holden rolls off the assembly line in Adelaide. I sat down with Ed last week and resigned as the, uh, the CEO of the Collingwood Football Club. 32 years of struggle, ridicule and humiliation as the Collingwood Football Club once again regained its title as the most famous and successful sporting club in Australia. Yes, Damien, it's time for our deep dive into the dirty backroom deals, the corporate and commercial machinations hidden behind the smoke and shadows behind the windows of the Lexus Centre. <laughs> this week's Pies Wide Shut, well, it's a blockbuster week for Pies Wide Shut. Uh, it's been a blockbuster summer. We felt like after the last pod that it was remiss of us as Collingwood's only cultural podcast to not tackle probably the low-hanging fruit. I'm being honest. Mm. The big issue of Eddie, mm. our Eddie. And look, we've all got the context and we don't need to drag Collingwood fans uh, through the ins and outs of exactly what's taken place. Um, we had a terrific uh, interview with Rana Hussein, who's a member of the anti uh, the, the body on anti-racism, which has been appointed to the mm. Collingwood Football Club. That was last week's pod. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, that's Pi Hard 20, but... I wanted to touch on Eddie um, because Eddie's left us. Uh, he's left the club. Um, he's, he's stepped down. Of course, it wouldn't have been his uh, choice to step down. He's been, mm. he's been under enormous pressure and he's been, he's been pushed. Boned. He's been boned. I mean, that, that's probably how Eddie would characterize it if he was um, doing his uh, morning shift on Triple M, which I'm not sure if he is, actually. I'm not sure Shout out to Eddie, a long-term fan of the pod. Long-term fan, and, and to be fair, I think part of the reason that we want to talk about Eddie is to to give a perhaps a more nuanced uh, reflection on 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 the man himself, but and also why you know we've been long-term supporters of of Eddie, who he is, and to show that things aren't always binary. You know, mm. people will, people yearn for a hero or a villain. People want to know black or white, whether someone's a good person or a bad person. And 
I've felt some kind of obligation, I've got to be honest, Damo, in the last few weeks to kind of come out in Eddie's defence, particularly when non-football following people are obviously eager to latch on to like what the headlines are uh, in, in the media. And, of course, we've been in the, in the headlines so much. And it, it's very easy to judge uh, a man, a public figure like Eddie on his last few moments in charge of the club. But that is a really unfair and really skewed, I think, um, analysis of what the man's brought to the game. So I wanted to um, boil this down simply into a question about what, for you, will be Eddie's most enduring legacy for the club? Mm-hmm. And what, what do you think about when you think about Eddie and Collingwood? What, do you, what will you remember, Damo? All right, where to start? Look, I'll go back to the start. I, I, my, my earliest memories of, of Eddie Maguire um, was like probably many piehard listeners of, a, of, a, of an older, more mature variety was going to football training on a Thursday night, racing home and watching the footy show on TV uh, during the era of the Trevor Marmalade mm. kind of gags from the bar. Uh, era, not the not the the last one with Gary Lyon and the other guys, mm. <clears throat> but I remember thinking at the time I was just going off the dome here, but I remember thinking at the time that no other team had a president with kind of that like rock star presence. Mm. Now I don't I don't mean rock star in the sense of like you know a Michael Hutchins in excess, uh, you know, sexual being type type creature, more in that just he was so visible uh, and I remember thinking as a kid, well, that's a very Collingwood thing. Like only the biggest club on earth would have a guy that was like on telly, you know, was in the black and white magazine, was spruiking the club at every opportunity there for every signing there when Mick Malthouse came there when we were, you know, looking fall on when we lost the flags in 2002, 2003, he was just, obviously a larger than life character. And it just felt like it fitted Mm. with what this club was all about. And obviously our love affair with Collingwood does extend to things like sponsorship. Like anyone that listens to the pod would know that. And you just felt like with Eddie Maguire in the seat, in the boardroom Mm. that, you know, we were the hottest property when it came to like a, a brand. Right. So, you know, he was able to do all of those deals with, um, you know, Emirates. Now, for those of, the, of you that know, know or don't know much about Emirates, Emirates refuses to sponsor any sports that doesn't have a global mainstream appeal. Mm. So they'll sponsor the soccer, they'll sponsor Formula One, they'll sponsor tennis, but they don't typically sponsor sports you know, being a large global network airline that um that sponsors sort of like provincial regional sports now eddie mcguire was a, was able to convince butros butros the marketing manager of emirates at the time i think he's still at the helm mm. to take a punt on a local team and, and it's and it's um become one of the longest um i think it's 20 plus year associations in the afl i think only maybe ford and mm. um whatever that one in sydney is is, is a little bit longer but my point is Eddie Maguire was was able to kind of make the impossible possible when it came to Collingwood. 
he had the connections from a government standpoint. So, for example, the move from Vic Park to the Lexus Center was done so through sheer kind of rat cunning, really. It was aligning with a, what was it, the National Institute of Sport or some mm, bullshit Vic, at the time. Vic, Victoria, to kind of think, grease, yeah. Yeah, exactly, to grease the wheels. But let's, let's, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Like, who owns the Holden Centre? Like, well, who bon- has the biggest gym? I mean, he's, they signed with the Victorian Institute of Sport to cohabitate mm. the Olympic yeah. Park precinct. And then I think a few years later, he boned them. It was obviously boned the them. whole... Yeah. The, 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 um, and they weren't even aware of the boning until they got boned. So it was always the plan from Ed. No, the brash move of renaming the the Olympic Park Oval, the Lexus Bob Rose Oval, without flagging it or clearing it with any government bodies, only to have the government bodies come out and renege. And <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, I've got a um, a couple of quotes from Eddie, and you know, similarly, that kind of move to Lexus Centre. It just crystallised so much of what Eddie was about. Mm. He said at the time, the fit between Collingwood and the Lexus philosophy of the passionate pursuit of perfection is perfect. A bit of a tongue tie for Med. We are officially aligning Lexus, a premium international brand with a brand new state-of-the-art complex located in the heart of one of the biggest sports and events precincts in the world. Alan Oxley, who was, I think, the, the trust chairman of the Olympic, mm. Olympic Park precinct, criticised Collingwood's proposal to allow Lexus owners to use the gym at the new complex. <laughs> Lexus, Lexus owners, brilliant. Under the contract with Collingwood, any signage or sponsorship rights have to be approved. So as far as the trust is concerned, Collingwood's action has no status. The trust has not received a request from Collingwood for that naming. He mm. swore the club would not get away with it. But of course, did the club get away with it? Oh, absolutely. So... We're giving you. Well, I'm I'm trying to paint a little picture here, and then 2010 rolls around. Eddie delivers a flag, and mm. it felt like for all the kind of shit you put up with Eddie, with Eddie, and you know all of the absurd comments, and you know the the not hatred from fellow supporters, but the, you know the ribbing that you would get from your fellow you know friends out at the footy. It was kind of like, well, you know, he did it, yeah. right? So you can say what you want, but he delivered us the flag. He said what he set out to do and everything at that moment, that precise moment was like, it was, it was sort of the greatest, right? And then 2011 rolled around and the handover. Mm. And for me, the handover was the first kind of chink in the armor. Yep. It was the first sign, which was like, all right, this is a misstep. This is crazy. Don't do it pull out. It's okay to say no. Like it's okay to renege and say, listen, we, we made this agreement. Um, before you know, we were the best team in the competition. Be- before, before we realized what we actually had. Yep. And, you know, we, we think that we're in a position to win multiple flags, two, three, four. So we're going to keep this unit together. And if it costs us a, a favorite son, it costs us our favorite son, but this is for the best of the club. The Buckley transition in hindsight, we all know it. With the, with that team, it it it, it, it was a mistake. Um, maybe it would have uh, reaped more rewards, maybe not. But you know, we we understand as supporters how difficult it is to get a team like that. You only have to go back and look at that 2011 team to understand just precisely what we actually had. Mm. Do you think that Buckley misstep, as as you called it? I think. Oh, I feel like that Eddie's one of his great powers is that everything to do with Collingwood is so personal. I mean, he mm. is the club. 
he doesn't just represent the club. He kind of is the club. And you see it in any finals victory. He's like, he's in the stands with his two sons and his pink head is literally mm. about to explode with a joy or frustration, mm. whichever the case may be. But then it felt to me, and even looking back after all these years, that that personal involvement with the club mm. um, bled over into his personal kind of adoration of Buckley and he wasn't able yeah. to separate the two. So the clear business football decision was to mm. keep the bloke who had the playing group, the best playing group in the AFL in the palm mm. of his hand. But Eddie's personal kind of engagement and kind of... It absolutely clouded his judgment. Yeah. It absolutely clouded his judgment. And I think any anyone who understands, you know, how <clears throat> the top end of the corporate world works business decisions sometimes you have to be extremely ruthless and sometimes you have to make decisions that actually go counter to your heart counter mm. to what you think counter to what you believe you're not going to be popular um you're not going to get the last word it, it could blow up but you, but you've got to you've got to do things for, for the greater good and, and not necessarily about your own personal um development in a sense and which that that, that kind of brutal kind of business thinking was a part of the early succession i mean when the fact is that Malthouse was brought in. He replaced, you know, Tony Shaw, loved mm. premiership captain of the club. So there was a strain yes. there early on of this dispassionate ability to identify what the best thing. And as you've always said, at that time, it was bringing in an outsider. Mm. There's far less potential for your judgment to be clouded when it's an outsider, mm. the best candidate so. for the job, whereas... You know, and we and and we've been on the Buckley journey, and we've been Buckley supporters. So don't get us wrong; it's just that sometimes your love of something can can cloud your judgment. As you it's said, it's not it's not having the baggage. It's not having the emotional baggage. We we often talk about the need at Collingwood for people to come into the organisation outside of the Collingwood bubble. Now, I remember Eddie Maguire's comments, and I'm jumping around here a little bit, but Eddie Maguire's comments um, towards the end of his tenure was like, "What are you looking for in the next?" Um, Collingwood president. It's like, well, they actually, they have to first and foremost absolutely love and bleed for this club. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, you know, in a position, they can't, you know, you, they, they probably should be a supporter, but do they have to be that, you know, mm. do they have to be that, that, feverish in their in their appreciation of the Collingwood football club or are we looking for someone who actually has what it takes to 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 drive not only cultural change but you know organiza organizational change and success within a big organization where media and and the attention and the focus is on you constantly more than any other club in the league mm -hmm. and so you know i think what i was trying to say is like and then 2011 rolled around the handover and the last sort of, you know, tenure of Maguire has just been, you know, quite ham-fisted. Um, we talk about validation within our social circles and our families and our friends. I mean, there was just too much of, of you know, trying to say that, oh, no, no, but Eddie's done so much for the club. Eddie's done this. It's just Eddie. And it's just got to the point where it became very tiresome to even have that conversation. Yep. And clearly... All of that extra focus, whether you whether you you support Eddie or not, all of that extra focus on the club was having a detrimental kind of washover onto the playing group and to on-field success. It was a distraction. And I think it was at that moment where the young 
the young me who was like, oh, isn't it fucking amazing that our president is everywhere and on every goddamn show and running Channel 9 and doing this and at the Formula 1 and at here? Isn't it fucking cool? Where it became like, I would, geez, I, geez, I love a president that you never, you, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know who they are. Yeah. They're just doing what they do. Totally. And I think you're spot on saying that Eddie's superpower was to make Collingwood the centre of all conversations, particularly in Melbourne. As a Collingwood supporter under the Maguire reign, you always felt we were at the centre of the news. Mm. If Eddie was ever in a room, whether it be a corporate environment or a media one or an environment um, with Collingwood people or opposition supporters, Collingwood was always first on the agenda and he was able to mm. bring that. And as I said earlier, I think he was he, he was able to embody a club mm. like no one had ever done. I mean, did you know? Did you know that under Pert's reign, I, I don't know how many of our listeners know this, but from a marketing sense, and Eddie definitely drove this strategy. But if we were playing Carlton, um, the club would leak stories uh, intended to fuel the the rivalry. So it would either be a flippant remark about one of their players or one of their coaches or their supporters, but the club would deliberately seed out information of an inflammatory nature because Eddie was very keen on continuing those traditions that he had experienced growing up. Mm -hmm. And I remember him nailing it into the players. I mean, we've had so many conversations about modern players. Do they give a fuck about the Carlton rivalry? Does that, mm. does that even, does Brody Grundy care? about what, you know, the Collingwood and Carlton rivalry was like in the 70s. Probably mm -hmm. not. But Eddie was big on making sure that that history within the game was, was, was carried through. And so it, it was definitely about making Collingwood, you know, front page news and center of attention. And it was like, you know, it, it was definitely a strategy that I think in the early days really helped build the club up. But then, you know, towards the end, it was like another bloody headline. Yeah, I think you're right. And it did have that arc where it wasn't always comfortable. Um, but I, I do recall similar kind of memories um, of, I think it was the gift of relevancy mm. that he bought. And, mm. you know, I was just re-looking at um, some, uh, some old interviews and I just came across on YouTube, Moldhouse's address to the players after the 20, 2011 grand final loss against Geelong, mm. and he said he announced his retirement, actually, during that, um, in the rooms, uh, or he announced that he wasn't going to honour the succession plan. It was quite interesting video you can look up. He said, boys, you've made this club from 16th broken shithouse, and you've converted into a powerhouse. And it kind of didn't quite ring true because you're looking at the boys, and it's like Chris mm. Dawes and, you know, the team. I mean, sure, like Ben Johnson was there and Leon Cracker, Davis. Cracker had been there for a year. Yeah. But what he was really saying was that, yeah. that, was, that was the legacy of his own time in the game. And yeah. when I think of Eddie Maguire when, and in the future when I think of him in terms of his enduring legacy, there's one image which comes to mind and it was early in his tenure and it's a black Lexus with <laughs> incredibly dark tinted windows rolling onto a stage. <laughs> Uh, amidst fake smoke, billows of fake mm. smoke. And in mm. my memory, there's also, it's on a Lazy Susan, so it's slowly spinning. But oh, yeah. I actually looked it up. I don't think it was spinning, so that was just a little mm. addition. Mm. And, of course, it rolls onto the stage. There's music. There's cameras flashing. There's a media there. 
and slowly but surely the automatic you know fabric roof rolls back mm. oh, and it's the, convertible the, the, it's convertible and the dark tinted <laughs> windows come down to reveal in the driver's seat none other than Mick Malthouse <laughs> and in the passenger seat Nathan Buckley <laughs> The irony of him being the passenger seat and them <laughs> trying to wrest control over the um, the gear stick for the over, next over the, 20 the years. AUX cord. <laughs> but I just thought it just brought together so much of what Eddie bought. It was like this razzle-dazzle. Mm. Showmanship. Um, this showmanship, this theatre. Uh, it was brazen and brash. Mm. It was bringing together the triumvirate of individuals who would literally shape the club for the next 22 years. You're talking mm. Maguire, Malthouse. Buckley. And of course, while any other club or any other president would announce the appointment of their new coach from a boring stock standard press conference, Eddie's got the audacity to put on the whole Hollywood show and of course set the stage for two decades of Collingwood back on Broadway, baby. Mm. Um, it was bringing together our most fortunate and you know in- incredible kind of serendipitous Union with Malthouse, mm. which lasted 11-odd seasons and brought us a premiership, which can never be undervalued. Mm. It was also bringing the incredible awkwardness and, you know, kind of internal conflagration of Buckley versus Malthouse era mm. and then all the player exoduses that happened thereafter and that kind of debate that rages to this day about whether that was the wrong rein to pull, whether Buckley should, should have been here for so long. But so much of that Lexus rolling onto the stage, you know, kind of characterised the, the Maguire era, and not, not least in the way he was able to, able to conv- combine the razzle-dazzle of football with the big personalities of the club, with the big money of corporate sponsorship, and ultimately able to guide the club back to solvency, not just solvency, as we've discussed before, like economic powerhouse of the AFL. So that's my kind of like lasting image. Mm. Yeah, you've just painted a picture of... A, a large title fight in Las Vegas and you've got Mick Malthouse as the Evander Holyfield. Mm-hmm. You've got Nathan Buckley as the Mike Tyson and in the corner is Eddie Maguire, the Don King. <laughs> yes, of, the promoter. boxing in football, selling tickets to this, you know, this once in a lifetime event mm. and it just fits perfectly. Like, I mean, do we do that anymore? Do we still do we still do the the big Lexus reveal down there or is that kind of like... I was thinking like the thing about the Lexus presentation that it was the turn of the millennium. Mm. And I know that we had Optus Oval and, and a kind of naming rights for, uh, you know, sporting stadia at the time, but mm-hmm. I can't recall any other training facilities being given corporate rating, uh, naming rights. And it was an example of that kind of progressive business acumen that, I think Eddie bought. It certainly mm. wasn't Gary Pert, was it? It was more Eddie. No, it was Eddie. And definitely the, the juxtaposition of such a premium automotive brand with the Collingwood Football Club. Like Collingwood has a history of being sponsored by Yakka yep. and Mini Skips and Spices Paper. Yes. But the Maguire era was like bringing in some of the, some of the biggest brands on the planet, Adidas, Lexus, Emirates, like even locally, like, Aussie Homelands, Wizard, like these deep-pocketed brands that were lining up, CGU. It, it was definitely, now that you mention it, it, it was a sign of pulling Collingwood into this rarefied air, this this rare space that it actually had never been. And, and in many ways, 
almost counter to it to to Collingwood's early beginnings. Oh, and in a very like physical, you know, bombastic. Well, in a material sense, it was the move from the Legionnaires in the Vic Parks Spa, which we know mm. about. We've talked about mm. poor Steve McKee, if you're listening, to the bloody MCG. I mean that. Mm. I mean, that was. I mean that was. Yeah. Clear, we haven't mentioned it, but the, clearly the most symbolic changing of the guard that could have happened was: look, we're going to give up our, our home ground and our home ground advantage, for that matter, of a hundred plus years, to move to a facility that can grow us as a club into something, you know, into superstar status. Mm. And at the time, I remember the the real sadness in that last game at Vic Park. I think it was against Brisbane, from memory. Um, we lost, and it was the end of the Tony Shaw era. It was his last game as coach, actually, mm. Tony Shaw. Um, what a tenure that was, but that's another story. But the, the sadness of that period and the move to the MCG was, was simply because we couldn't see the big vision that Eddie could see because he was a mm. visionary. And I watched another interview today from the, from the time and interestingly, Eddie said something along the lines of, this isn't a sad day for the Collingwood Football Club. This is the future. And mm. I thought, wow, like that rings some bells. Like mm. fast forward 22 years and there you go. Eddie again is like spinning the narrative in Collingwood's favour. He's, he's incredibly dexterous and skillful at doing that. But in the end, whether it be through a loss of judgment or what I think is probably more the tide of history, the tide of change sweeping him away like it will so many others, so many other organisations. In the end, his ability to tell when to pull the rein of narrative or when to perhaps be more genuine about something that's bigger than himself and bigger than the club, you know, mm. I think he suffered for, suffered for it, suffered for losing that kind of perception. And it'll be very interesting to see whether that tide of change ends up causing more casualties within the club it's fascinating, and look, we, we were never going to do Eddie justice in one little segment of Pies Wide Shut, and I think that's an interesting segue into, I think, our, our last main segment for, for mm. this week's pod is about season predictions. It's time to have a look at what's going to happen in season 2021. You got anything, Damo? Let's do it. I think this season for the Collingwood Football Club is the consist, consistent theme is going to be change. Mm-hmm. Now, change change can be positive. Change is, is not always negative. As, as humans, we're, we're really hesitant to embrace change, but I feel like we are at, we're at a precipice, we're at a moment, um, a junction, uh, where we, we probably need to lean in as opposed to lean back. And what I mean by that is we have now a really rich crop of of young players at the club for the first time in in several years it feels quite exciting whether they come through or not is 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 almost irrelevant at this point but i think as a as a supporter you know we've spoken about this when a when a young player debuts it, it's it's really exciting you kind of see the future of the club out there on the field and i think i think for me that's really what i'm looking forward to and it's like that's probably more on field than off field, but I think that um, embracing, you know, some of these kids that we've got, even if it means that, you know, we're, we're not necessarily in cal- calculations or we take a steps backwards to go forwards, I, I think now is the time with everything that's swirling on off the field that if we're going to do this, we may as well, like this year has started off, it's been really bad, right? Mm. It hasn't been a great year for the Collingwood Football Club. So, 
I'm not saying right off this year, but let's just go all in. Like, let's look at the football department. Let's look at the coaching department. Let's look at the supporting structure that sits around the team. And we're definitely making changes off the field. So let's let's also embrace that um, when it comes to on-field. And I think only from doing that will we, you know, sow the seeds of, of success for the Collingwood Football Club moving forward. All right. So elephant in the room. Elephant in the room. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily what what we want to be dealing with all year, but unfortunately, we're going to be dealing with this saga of Nathan Buckley's mm. contract. As Collingwood supporters, it's a given, right? The media is going to be all over him. There's a number of reasons. Um, you know, there's a huge tide of change in terms of cultural leadership of the club, doubts over who's going to be the presidency. There's even doubts over the board. Um, it's a period of flux. Bucks is going to be under the microscope. Um, for a number of reasons. His polarising treatment of players that were up for trade last season, including through law, which we've touched on. He's been caught up, I think, in the racism inquiry, uh, although he's, mm. he's kept fairly quiet on that front, but he's acknowledged some, uh, I guess, ongoing hurt that, you know, his experience about his own, his own involvement with the Retia Lumumba situation. Mm. And I think that I don't see that going away straight away. It's not like we've dealt with that. And as the as the recommendations of the review will be put into place, mm. that's really going to like rear its head again. So that that's a real difficulty. He's got 40% or thereabout less staff mm. in the club to mm. because of COVID cutbacks to, in order to, to support him. And I don't know about you, but he seems like a bit of a lonely figure at the moment in terms of leadership. I mean, with Eddie gone, I guess this mm. is one of my... One of my points is that Eddie has always been a protector of Nathan. He's always been able to guide the narrative back in Nathan's favour. Mm-hmm. And you imagine that in those board meetings where Nathan's contract was under review, you can just imagine how vociferous Eddie's voice was mm-hmm. you know, in support of Bucks. But perhaps most significant, most significantly for Nathan, this year's his 10th year in charge. And we haven't, we haven't got any silverware. So... I think I actually think that's probably the biggest factor in terms of his potential to continue past 2021. And the question is, it's a hard-hitting question. It's a pie-hard question. Mm. Do you see do you see Nathan Buckley coaching Collingwood beyond 2021? Um, and, you know, yes or no and, and why? Yeah, look, yes is a short answer. I think the thing that's going to save Nathan Buckley is results. Um, if Nathan Buckley... Uh, performs well this season with um, the players he has. And by, by, by well, I mean playing finals. Um, I can see the club affording him an extra year. Um, however, if the, the trend continues downwards, I think it's, it's potentially the right time for both Nathan as a, as a, Nathan from a personal level and also a professional level to cut ties with the Collingwood Football Club. Um, I, I don't think, I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. There's an arc in all of this and Nathan Buckley's arc is definitely closer to the end than the start. Um, but, you know, this is a, we said at the top of the show, this is about performances. So it's hard to write him off until we we get a first look at the at the team on Friday night and see how we're looking. And if it does feel like we are, you know, the trajectory is not bottoming out, but we're we're going to have a few lean years. Then, as I said at the start of this segment, it's like the theme is change and we may as well embrace it. I, I do agree that 
it's intrinsically tied to on-field fortunes. Mm, of course, it's, it's a coach. It has to be. But where you can't I make a decision differ, on that now. Where I differ is I don't think like finals is a pass mark. I think that... So if he wins a premiership, your mind's made up. Look, my, my opinion is that he gives himself a fighting chance to retain the coaching role if, he's, if we make a prelim. I think mm. that expectations since 2018 are very high. Um, I think the nucleus of the list has been very strong these last few years, and I think we've underachieved since 2018. Um, and I think the the voices that the the wolves circling, if you will, mm. that chorus for change will probably overcome him mm. if we finish in the bottom half of the eight. And mm. and right. uh, the chances of us finishing lower than fourth, I think, are quite high. And don't get me wrong. I pray that we make a grand final. I pray that we win another premiership soon. And I'd love to see Nathan continue. But I look at, we don't exist in a vacuum. I look at the competition. Mm. Clubs get better. And Mm. are we on the way up or down? It's really hard to tell. Um, I look at Port Adelaide. Their youth is a couple, their really young youth is a couple more years developed than ours. And they're, they're going to be coming through really strongly and structurally players like Dixon. Brisbane, same mm. thing. Exciting yeah. young side. Richmond, do they, are they showing any signs of fading? Well, arguably, they'll be as confident as ever. Geelong, have they overtaken us? We always thought we, Geelong wasn't really a threat, but then they flogged us in the final and they've added Cameron. I mean, you've just, I think you've got to, we've got to honestly look at, look at Collingwood in the context of the con- competition and the best way to do that is through 22 rounds of fucking hard football mm. and there's nowhere to hide. And I, my prediction and again it's not necessarily what i want my prediction is that if we don't make that prelim or that grand final appearance then i think uh, nathan's gone and mm. interestingly now i actually think this has been underplayed in the media bucks coming out in that afl website interview and saying that if the time's right i'll work for the club i'll walk away mm. if it's best for the club mm. that's massive that's mm. a senior coach whose list profile should be near Zenith, Hmm. acknowledging that there could be a circumstance in the near future where he has to walk away. And I think that's that's him opening the door ajar just to flag that possibility. So I I, I can see that happening. I, I don't think that we as an institution will sack Nathan Buckley in the middle of the year. I think that's a grubby thing to do to any coach. But I can see a, a situation where if we were to finish 7th or 8th or ninth, if we were a mediocre club based on results, mm. then Nathan's opened the door for him to shuffle on out, unfortunately. It really is the uh, conscious uncoupling of Gwyneth Peltrow and Chris Martin from Coldplay, <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're sensing it's going to be quite that mutual front foot, very positive um, narrative to come out uh, out of the club if that doesn't does happen. I don't think there'll be many bonings. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a very tantalizing prospect this year, and we can't wait for the foot, footy to start. And we also can't wait to be with the Collingwood faithful throughout 2021, riding the bumps, tackling the big topics, tackling the little small topics as well. Uh, as always, we love to hear from you on socials at Pie Hard Podcast on Instagram, at Pie Hard Podcast on Twitter. 
please get in touch with us if there's a topic you would like us to uncover. We are working on a few guests this year, so we're going to add a new dimension to Pie Hard this year. Thank you so much for listening, Al. Always a pleasure. Thanks for, um, geez, thanks for, thanks for bringing some of those uh, those weighty issues to the fore. I feel a little bit lighter as a result. Fuck, it was heavy. It was the heaviest Pie Hard ever. But um, let's hope that next time we've got something positive to talk about. And the longest, I think, just judging by uh, where we're at uh, at the moment. But thank you so much for listening. We So just one quick one. Is uh, Bulldogs, uh, what are you tipping? Jeez, uh, oh, that's a tough one, isn't it, first up? Um, I'm tipping it's going to be a lot closer than people think. And, jeez, oh, can I tip against the pies? Is that a pie hard thing to do? Look, I think we've got to be honest. With our listeners. Yeah, I think we'll lose. Really? We're not great at no, we're not great at winning the first you know, I, the first round any, I'm anyway, thinking a statement ever. game of kind of collegiality within the club. And I think maybe a, mm. I've got I've got Bontempelli for Brownlow this year. So mm. it could be a good match. I think Pies might get up okay. though to scrape up. And to be honest, the, okay. the need for a good start to season this year is more than ever for the sake of Nathan and the the whole morale of the club and the supporters. So mm. fingers crossed we'll be at the MCG and um, footy's back. Fingers crossed we've got something to celebrate. Hopefully we'll have something positive next week uh, or in a fortnight's time when we come back. Uh, as always, thank you very much for listening. This is Pie Hard. <laughs>